Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Darrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about everything. And nothing. (laughs) So, Caleb, we didn't get to do a what if last time, which was kind of sad for me. I know, I was kind of sad. Right? Um, But since you called me out, Right when I came to record this episode about books, my what if is centered around books. Mm. What if you could be the main character in any story you've ever read or any piece you've ever enjoyed? What would it be and why? That is a fantastic question, Terrell. You know, a little context here for our audience. (laughs) (laughs) uh, When I was a kid... And my mom can't confirm. I was such a crazy reader. Read all the Harry Potter books before I was even in fourth grade. Um, thought they were good. I really, though, I really liked the Aragon series. Oh. Disappointed by the movie, for sure. I don't even remember the movie. Yeah, you shouldn't. It's bad. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed um, the Aragon series, which is about dragons, dragon riders, and... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, kind of different kingdoms almost and like elves and dwarves and all that kind of stuff kind of mystical stuff but my favorite book and i honestly need to read them again but my favorite one of them all was um inheritance which was the very final the fourth and final book mm-hmm. it was i i can't say i remember a lot about it but um just the whole book itself was just i just remember the writer's so good that like it's almost like it's like a kid's topic mm-hmm. almost in terms of like mm-hmm. mystical stuff and all of that but it's very adult i don't mean adult as in like sex drugs rock and roll just mature right it's just he was such a good writer so i almost didn't understand it as a kid but i just remember thinking that that was one of the best books i've ever i've ever um read and so i need to reread them yeah but i'd, I'd be uh i'd be aragon Oh, you always get these so quickly and it really throws me off because I'm the one who comes up with them and I still don't have an answer even after I ask you. Um, But I think for me, the story I would have loved to have been a part of is John Green's Paper Towns. Tell me about that. So it's a story about some unlikely friends and they're kind of coming to age um, in the midst of a lot of other chaotic things happening. And there was just something really, really great. And maybe it's the, the explorer in me and that's why this stands out in my head. But there was something really, really great of how it told the metaphorical sense of what a paper town was and i think i've always wanted to have one myself so what is a paper town i can't tell you because i would give away the entire book (laughs) okay Uh, (laughs) paper town by john green buy it now yeah i don't mean what if i google it Well, Terrell, this week we uh, saw Marjorie Taylor Greene, a freshman in the House of Representatives, talk about how she thinks Democrats should be executed. We saw GameStop and Reddit take over Wall Street. 
Uh, we saw Republicans come back with a third of what Biden's original economic slash COVID stimulus plan is. And for funsies, we saw a coup in Myanmar. Aren't I normally the pessimist in this chat? Like, where did that come from? There were some good things. We saw <laughs> Stacey Abrams get nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, yeah. We got to see the potential future of the Democratic Party take shape as AOC has become a real uh, threat, makes it sound more pessimistic, which is on brand for me, but become a real threat to Chuck Schumer. And then, I mean... You're so egotistical of the U.S. There's also, well, I guess you did mention Myanmar, so. I, I did. did. Uh, eh, well. Am I egotistical? A little bit. Debate masses. <laughs> you picked the one big story. You didn't <laughs> highlight that some of the most um, restrictive abortion laws have come out of Poland that have resulted in protests across the country. Um, farmers are protesting in India right now, and the internet's being shut down. So there's like... I don't know if those are happier things, but there's some good things out there to kind of lean on and be thoughtful of. And you are potentially seeing the end of the Republican Party, which I really don't think there's much better than that. And one fun thing, spinach can send emails. <laughs> you hear that, everybody? Spinach, the lettuce, can send emails. Does it just request Popeyes? Yes. <laughs> I hate that you responded to that <laughs> so much. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, God. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. Like, we can't ignore the fact that... It's been insane. But what do you want to talk about first? <laughs> that I hate it here? <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's, let's start with... Let's just start with the administration and work our way down. Cool. So, where are we at with the Joe Biden stuff? There's a stimulus plan that... Republicans seem like they're not going to do anything about, but the Democrats are pretty much daring them to stand in the way. And then they went to the White House. Yeah. So uh, basically, Biden, the Biden administration said, here's a one point nine trillion dollar plan for uh, covid stimulus, economic stimulus. We need something big now that mm -hmm. helps people. And a lot of economists agree as well. So 10 Republicans in the Senate introduced a $600 billion counter offer to Biden's $1.9 trillion plan. Um, the Republicans' plan reduces stimulus checks from $1,400 to $1,000. Um, they only earmark $20 billion to safely reopen schools instead of um, Biden's plan of $170 billion. Mm -hmm. um, they offer less generous unemployment benefits, and it also takes away $350 billion in emergency state and local funding. So the Republicans, I guess this is kind of my take on it. There's been a lot of, uh, oh, unity, the message of unity, right? Has there? Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, Bi Joe Biden's campaign. Joe Biden's campaign has a lot of unity, yeah. There's been a lot of, there's been this idea that um, when Joe Biden meant unity, that meant he was going to work with Republicans at all times. And for the most part, he has. But Republicans are using this counter offer that is way less than what is needed for the economy um, to say, are you actually going to work with us or not? And Terrell, my question to you is, first of all, what do you think of this counter offer? And second of all, uh, do you think Republicans using the unity argument is bullshit or not? Oh, Okay, it's unfair because I was going to ask you something similar about the second one. But um, 
when did Mitch McConnell lose control of his caucus in such a way that 10 senators, not including him, reached out to and scheduled a meeting with the White House and he has no say in it? He's not bought in, which to me signals the Republican Party's in a space of not turmoil, but at least some questions about who really is who's really holding the power of the party. Is it still Mitch McConnell or are your more moderate slash getting ready to retire senators starting to pivot a little bit more? So maybe I'm hopeful in that regard, but I think in any great deal and great compromise, one party comes in very low and the other one comes in very high and they meet at the middle. Is that the best? No, but at least it's better than what we've been seeing for the last four years. Do you think... Um, Democrats will accept anything lower than the $1.9 trillion plan? Maybe. Depends on where the cuts are. Why do Republicans like... Is this an interview? ...to take away (laughs) money from state and local funding? I don't know if they like to do it, but I, I do think that the Republican Party is making an interesting choice right now to pivot back towards their despise and hatred of deficit spending and it's easier to earmark and highlight state and local funding um, because that funding specifically is being managed outside of their control so they can ask more questions or feel more skeptical about it but i do think that brings up a good point to would the democrats go any lower and one of the spaces that i think had the bigger divide for between the Biden plan and the the Republican plan right now is in school funding. Biden offered 170 billion to reopen schools versus the Republican plan that offers 20 billion. Do you think that their plan is light not because it's not trying to reopen schools, but focused in on here are the things and metrics that are actually necessary for schools to open? Versus the Biden plan that is looking at testing and looking at all of these other components that will be necessary in a broader sense for schools to reopen. And they're trying to reallocate it to other space. So better way of framing this question. Do you think that their willingness to reallocate money in that space offers room for compromise down the road? So I'd say yes, especially after um, the meeting um, between Biden and these Republicans that happened just today, I believe, mm-hmm. um, uh, they ca- both came out of the meeting saying, well, we don't have a new plan. Like, you shouldn't have expected it if you thought that was going to happen. But they felt positive about the meeting, um, felt like there is more talks to be had. They've Both sides have agreed to further talks. And I do think that um, the Republicans starting so low, I think there's room to grow there. Mm-hmm. My curiosity is... Um, is, just, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? Um, I know that uh, part of injecting so much cash into the economy with $1.9 trillion uh, for Biden is that we're about to, we're kind of in a recession and it might get worse um, as we try to roll out uh, vaccine distribution. Yeah. Um, and Republicans had the same amount of money as, Bi- as Biden did basically for vaccine distribution and those kind mm-hmm. of things. They just don't have any stay in local funding or as much to reopen schools safely. Um, whereas Biden does. And I think there is room 
um, for both sides to to come together on this. I'm just not 100% sure uh, if Democrats want to do that much less than the $1.9 trillion. So while I think bipartisanship can occur, I'm kind of curious. You have 10 Republicans that have come onto this, but like you said about Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell wasn't a part of it. Are they even going to vote for a plan that they both come up with in the first place? Well, I appreciate the ability to pivot there. Um, Yeah, you have these 10 senators that are making an attempt and reaching out to find a bipartisan split. But I think the Hill gives a really great perception of where the Republican Party is that I want to pose to you, where they write, golf grows between GOP's McConnell and um, McCarthy. Do you... Do you think that the bipartisanship message has also shifted? Not so much in, is it possible for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party to come together? But are we genuinely starting to see a chasm in the Republican Party that, I won't go as far to say results in the third party, but at least results in enough of a a defaction um, that you do see bipartisanship. If all 10 of these senators were to sign on to Biden's plan tomorrow, it would be filibuster-proof. And it was done without Mitch McConnell at all. You're also seeing this huge argument, and we can get into Marjorie Taylor Greene here soon. You're, hearing the, you're seeing this huge argument between the Senate and the House from a Republican side that you haven't seen in generations. So are we seeing a chasm that the whole bipartisan unity message might be something that the Republicans need, but the Democrats can kind of keep in their back pocket and show in moments like this. That Yeah, that's a perfect transition to another um, subject I want to talk about today, which is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, to answer your question directly before going into that, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell because, you know, McConnell's coming out and, like, making these statements has been since really since January 6th, the insurrection against the uh, government, um, basically about how bad Trump is and also how bad Marjorie Taylor Greene is too. Um, all the QAnons. All the QAnons. Um, all the crazies. Am I right? <laughs> but like you have McCarthy, as you said, the, the McConnells and the McCarthys. It's, you have, you have McCarthy going down literally to where Trump is at Mar-a-Lago and basically saying... Hey, we're still good, right? Can we appreciate the fact that we found out something I didn't think I wanted to know until I saw the picture of Trump and McCarthy together, that the spray tan was only available at the White House because Trump was pale. Oh, was he? I didn't even he see. He was pale. <laughs> anyway, back to your point. <laughs> I, don't I don't know what's worse. Pale Trump or orange Trump? Pale, 100%. Interesting, okay. It was it was scary. Interesting. Um so I don't know. I don't have a lot of, uh, I guess, faith in a large block of Republicans breaking off from from Trump um, and basically QAnon um, conspiracies and things like that. Not that all of them believe that. It, they just haven't. Not a lot of them have um, just announced that kind of behavior. I mean, and we'll get into that in a sec. But it's just very hard to tell. Like, obviously, there's moderates moderate Republicans that are taking the unity message to heart enough that they want to show that they're working with the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. But again, it's only 10 of them. I don't know how many more are out there, and I don't know if it's an actual break from the party yet. 10 Republicans to me isn't a huge break. It makes it filibuster-proof in the Senate. 
it does, but this is only for this. And do those 10 Republicans feel the same way with everything else on Biden's agenda? To every, some compromised effect? I'm not sure about it. To some compromised effect is the question. That's the question. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. And it's not the Marjorie Taylor Greens that they're arguing with. It's not the, the individuals <laughs> who are saying that the Parkland shooting was staged by crazy <laughs> Dems to get rid of guns. It's not so, the woman who says that they're Jewish space lasers. Like... So let me, let me, <laughs> I have a paragraph from um, Politico and uh, CNN and Washington Post and many other outlets have reported this information um, that I'll just kind of read about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a freshman um, congresswoman from uh, Georgia, a district in Georgia. Um, and the paragraph goes as this. As CNN, The Washington Post, Politico, and a score of other outlets have reported, Green is a shambles of a human being. She subscribes to or has promoted an awful bunch of irrational and absurd ideas and positions. So irrational and absurd that you'd be doing her a favor by calling them merely fringe, fringe in air quotes. She has trafficked in false QAnon claims of a global pedophilic, satanic, cabal involving top Democrats and Hollywood celebrities, she liked a comment suggesting the Parkland school massacre was a false flag operation and asserted much the same about the Sandy Hook killings. She appeared to support the execution of Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi, also accusing Pelosi of treason, suggested the Las Vegas shooting was part of a plot to abolish the Second Amendment and claimed the 2020 presidential election was stolen and asserted the 2018 midterms in which Democrats took the House, represented an Islamic invasion of our government. And they're still saying these things. On January 21st, shortly after Joe Biden took the oath, uh, Green filed, as she had promised, articles of impeachment against him, which of course will go nowhere. But isn't it kind of weird to think about that in this huge list of things that she has claimed and or done, um, claiming the president, the 2020 presidential election was stolen feels like, like nothing Does compared it? to the rest of it. I mean, someone is getting impeached because of it. Well, has been impeached. Well, it, obviously it's a huge thing, but I, it's also been a thing for two months, so we're a little bit desensitized to that one. But all the other stuff is just... And the media is already... not. I, I really feel like I'm starting to come off as a person who critiques the media aggressively when I don't intend to. But the fact that we're now calling it the big lie, as if it was some toddler who ran up to its parent and... It's like, oh, I didn't break the vase and then ran away and it's oh, the big lie that you're punished for. Like, no. This is a threat to the democracy. This diminishes institutions. This has made us weaker on the world stage. Like, let's call it what it is and also call point to individuals like this that are feeding the fire while the Republican Party is actively questioning if they're going to remove their number three in command in the House, Liz Cheney, from her post and McCarthy is actively avoiding that conversation but doesn't seem too offended by a woman who thinks that the Parkland shooting was fake. <laughs> I'm, so, that's my worst. That so bad. To your point about McConnell's versus McCarthy's here in, in the Senate uh, Republican leadership and House Republican leadership split. Mitch McConnell came out and said... Um, that Marjorie Taylor Greene's embrace of loony lies and conspiracy theories is a cancer for the Republican Party. 
Somebody who suggested that perhaps no airplane hit the Pentagon on 9-11, that horrifying school shootings were pre-staged, and that the Clintons crashed JFK Jr.'s airplane is not living in reality. This has nothing to do with the challenges facing American families or the robust debates on substance that can strengthen our party. Of course, McConnell's right, but... Can we never have to say those words again? (laughs) It's easy easy to denounce someone like Green, yet... Is it? He seems to be the only pro- one of the only prominent Republicans that um, has actually done that. I guess on the Senate side is a little different. We just haven't really seen a lot of action besides, of course, with Democrats in the House about this. Yeah, and uh, I say is it not in the sense of average day Americans? Obviously, it's easy to denounce that we we saw the horrors of Parkland of the Parkland shooting. We saw the marches and protests that came out of it. But for the Republican Party. That's in a space right now of really truly becoming the Trump party. Like part of the reason he doesn't need to make a Patriots party is because he already has it. Is it easy for them to call out the fact that the overwhelming majority of their base and their party does not exist in reality at this moment in time? It feels like it. I feel like it's still early into Joe Biden's presidency for the Republican Party to truly have a reckoning if they have one. Again, I don't know if they will have one, but there could be a crack. And I think this will be part of it if there is. I guess we'll know for a fact next week when the um, trial officially begins and one side labels an individual as being the kingmaker to an insurrection and the other side tries to play he can't be removed because he's not president anymore which makes it unconstitutional also the first amendment protects him which has been debunked in several different ways so yeah i i I agree i just i find there to be a genuine concern that the world seems to have moved on from Trump, and yet, and I maybe this fits the joke that the Republicans have always lived back in the 1940s anyway, um, but they're still trapped in his, uh, not spell, Grip but... even? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that might mean. Well, this is the thing, is, is they're trapped in his grip to me by choice. If there are Republicans that know he's bad for the party, I know McConnell knows this, but will they actually break off and denounce that wing of the party? That it's a it's a political risk, and um, I think they should do it. But you know, it's at cost of losing their seat, and it's like, how do you incentivize them to actually come out against it then? Mm-hmm. So that's a problem for another day. But <laughs> Terrell, I think we should end with uh, all this GameStop stuff happening. I mean, Game Stonk. <laughs> <laughs> Did I already say I hate it here? Am I allowed to say that again? <laughs> as much as you'd like. Okay, uh, I hate it here. <laughs> Still hate it here. So basically here. what happened on... So GameStop. What happened with GameStop uh, was a bunch of uh, people on Reddit in kind of a message board called Wall Street Bets um, said no to hedge funds and tried to take back basically the stock market um, so what that actually means is hedge funds had big short bets on uh, 
and I'm probably not using proper terminology here, even though I was a finance major. But but hedge funds. Are you in a master's program? (laughs) Well, I'm not in a financial master's program. But basically, um, hedge funds had big uh, short bets on um, in the form of options on GameStop stock. So what that means is when you short a stock, you're basically betting against it. You're saying, I think the stock price will go will actually go lower. Mm-hmm. And hedge funds do this to comp- a lot of companies. And some people argue destroy companies because of it. Although I'd argue that it isn't all bad because um, sometimes it's okay to get rid of bad companies. I'm not saying GameStop is a bad company, but they're not financially doing too hot. And Are you making an argument that the market actually works though? I'm saying that the market can work. It doesn't always work, but it can work. I don't have an example for you. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even going to ask that, but <laughs> good point. Um, I'm not saying that the market doesn't ever work, but I sometimes it is um, it goes directly against uh, what people believe in and what is happening to American people every day. That's like, like the equivalent of just putting someone in an island, being like, "There's a there's a treasure here." I mean, they could find it. Yeah. But the probability of them finding it isn't that high, just like the probability of the market in the current situation working is also not that high. Yeah, so so Reddit users on on the message forum, Wall Street Vet said, um, we're not gonna we're gonna screw over the hedge funds and um, that kind of became a rallying cry. Not sure at this point of time if there was actual manipulation like mm-hmm. like people banded together to do it, or There's if it was just questions. someone saying, I'm gonna buy GameStop because of all these hedge fund bets and then everybody else um, kind of followed in that direction. But basically what they did is they bought a bunch of their own options of GameStop uh, GameStop, and through the market into chaos caused a lot of volatility started really forced a lot of hedge fund um, heads of hedge funds to divest more than they had anticipated. They lost billions apparently Um, and then they did it again and again with a lot of different kind of companies that yeah. aren't doing too well financially right now amc had filed for bankruptcy right around the same time that this all began and now they're good enough to not have to file for bankruptcy anymore but the question again to your point of the market is this just proof that it's not working or is this really a robin hood situation where the the poor fellow banded together a couple of individuals and rallied against the elites to give back to the people who are actually suffering. Well, Terrell, I just don't think it's that simple. I think that the Redditors um, uh, said, wow, these head funds are just acting like the stock market. This is what I at least heard. Mm-hmm. Um, these hedge funds are acting like the stock market's their casino and they've been doing it for so long and they can just make money because... They can bet against companies and people and screw over companies and people and do all these things and just make money and it's not that hard for them. So let's take it back to them. In reality, these Redditors are just making the market their casino too, screwing Mm -hmm. over hedge funds in the process. Some of them became millionaires and billionaires overnight. But you have to, I mean, when you think about it though, not everyone here wins. The ends don't justify the means. And I'd argue that, that more Reddit users probably lose money than Wall Street people do. Which is part of the reason Reddit, Reddit, which is part of the reason why Robinhood made the 
rather unusual and aggressive step to Robinhood, the financial app that you the financial get. app, not the analogy I was just using, um, but made the the step to pull a lot of these investors and stop them from being able to trade because they knew that it was a it's a bad investment at some point in time. This stock is going to tumble or have issues and all it takes is and for the individuals that are investing all it takes is that one major loss for them to potentially lose everything i wanted to ask uh a question about robin hood the financial apps um decision to halt trading along with several other companies decisions to halt trading um, usually the stock exchange will do that if it's really high volatility to protect investors mm-hmm. um so you don't have like a huge crash or um Basically, it gives stock, uh, uh, it gives um, people time to kind of understand yeah. the situation. And that did happen a few times in this situation. It happened several times, but um, GameStop kept going crazy, volatility way, way over what it should be, way overvalued. And and so I guess my question to you is, um, is it okay for a financial company that millions of people use to have that kind of power, or is that a government power and I only a government power? Because I've been seeing a lot. Yep. <laughs> I, just been, I mean, if you go, on, if you went on Twitter when this happened, like, like a lot of people are like, yes, they always rig the game so the people that aren't elite status or rich, um, thank you, white liberals. So, and know, all liberals. Your, let's be real. <laughs> what's your take? It's funny you mentioned Twitter because I, I think. They made the first big step that brought into question what is the extent to which a company truly can go when they made the decision to not ban the real Donald Trump as an account, but to ban Donald Trump as a person for his ability to spread misinformation. So you think those are connected? Yes. I, I think... Robinhood may not have made the decision they made had they not seen a Twitter, Facebook get away with banning the president of the United States from their platform unilaterally. Granted, people were some people were happy about it, but with very little pushback. I, I do think Robinhood felt we're doing this for the greater good. We're going to be seen in that way at the end of the day and just miscalculate it. Um, yeah, because everyone hates them now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I disagree with what they did, but I guess I struggle with the idea that can Robin, should Robin Hood be the ones to be able to do that? Or should that be a SEC or a government kind of thing to actually do? Because they have, didn't, they just yeah. kind of watched. I mentioned this a few times of, and I, I think this also jumps back to does the market work? I mentioned this a few times, and I feel like the Republican Party should actually be championing what Robin Hood did because the government didn't step in. And I think we were all expecting the SEC uh, hearings or something to happen to really get a grasp of what was going on, ease the mind of the market, and the government was going to do what the government did. But it never it never showed up. You had members. Elizabeth Warren did an amazing job of explaining what was going on what needed to be done, the rampant corruption. But we all recognized that it was a market manipulation and it was wrong. Was it, though? It was. 
I, to be honest with you, Terrell, I find the whole situation a little unclear in a couple aspects. I agree. I, well, while I kind of do respect what the Redditors did a little bit, like that's great for them. It's unclear to me that this was actually um, a successful attack, if you will. On, in what regard? On Wall Street, in the elites, in the people who can always make money and get away with it and manipulate the market themselves. What would you have? What were you looking for to determine a success? Hey, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know what determines a success, and maybe that's why it's unclear for me. Because on one hand, you have the redditors that are like, "Yeah, we're taking back the market and we're doing all these things." And did you see that hedge fund? It lost two point seven five billion dollars the other day, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously. Not all those Reddit users. There's like 8 million people in that group now. Yeah, no, no, not all of them knew what was going on. Like you're only hearing about the ones that made money. What happened to the ones that didn't? But did they not have a success in proving what hedge funds were doing to the masses? Which I don't think was their end goal. I will, I will default to that. I, I don't think they were... I think they were trying to exploit something... And then it turned around to show it publicly. But in doing so, did they not call attention to the injustice, the corruption that they were exploiting and potentially lead to a future banking omnibus or um, some type of financial sector legislation to be to potentially come? Because it did lead to Elizabeth Warren now sitting on the Senate Finance Committee, which many people didn't think would even be possible because of the things she's ever said. So, again, it's a very convoluted thing, but is that in its own regard somewhat of a win for them? Maybe. I'm not saying I I am necessarily on anybody's side here either. Also same. It's, it's the vibe that you got um, from uh, people on Twitter uh, or some of the um, um, kind of the messages that were sent within that Wall Street Bets forum were very, um, this is what they do to us, like people who aren't rich, um, This and we're taking it back to them as if it was some rallying cry and big generational, generational, but class, I think yeah. you called it a class very war class at one war. point. Um, at the same time, like everybody else that's not a part of it, like did it actually help, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't think I am any different today than I was a week ago before this happened. Except I know a lot more about stocks than I thought I was ever going to know. <laughs> Success! Hmm. No, I, and I'm not saying that hedge funds are, are, aren't corrupt, but I'm not necessarily saying they are. Because there's a difference between corrupt and there's a difference between taking advantage of the rules. And while they do have the privilege of lots of money and maybe power, um, that doesn't mean they're always doing something wrong. And Reddit users kind of putting them all in one group kind of attacking all at once, seemingly manipulation, not a little unclear if it actually was, mm-hmm. um, help, it, it propels some of those Reddit users into that elitist group, but everybody else is still kind of the same old, same old. So I, I guess in terms of a large impact on the country, I don't know if, I. it's unclear to me what, if anything changes at this point. But like you yeah. said, like Elizabeth Warren's on that committee now. 
Um, the government is probably still monitoring the situation, and there could be stuff that comes out, but you know government can be slow a little yeah. bit. And the Secretary of Treasury wasn't technically appointed by that point. Now that Yellen's in, she has a little bit more of a grasp. You also saw AOC and Cruz, well, you saw Cruz agree with AOC and then AOC commit mass murder again of just Ted Cruz. Um, yeah, well, Ted Cruz sucks. 100%. Everybody hates him, even Republicans in the Senate. But one point that you brought up that I, I think is still important and relevant to mention, do you find, is it necessary that there had to be coordination for it to still be market manipulation? Or is it just the fact that a group existed and the idea was shared as widely, which is what hedge funds have been doing for years, is that still market manipulation and still should be seen as a, a um, not a discrepancy, but uh, someone putting their hand on the weight and someone tilting the scale in their favor? Well, the definition legally of market manipulation is actually really shaky. Um, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't know much about it, but um, I kind of did dive a little bit into the history of what that actually entails. Um, in this terms is why of I love word. being on the podcast with you. Really? Because um. <laughs> I, I did not know the actual definition, so I appreciate you being able to jump in and know some of it. it it's, it's a little shaky over the what 80 or so years since it was put into place but um where do you look did did anything illegal actually happen here if a reddit user goes i'm gonna buy this terrible stock and it happens to be gamestop um is he saying to everyone buy this stock with me or is he just saying I'm going to buy GameStop for this reason and this reason and this reason. And then everybody else goes, I am too. And then suddenly you have market frenzy mania. And I'm not sure if that first message was actually illegal and everybody else following that. That's not illegal. They're just buying stuff on the market. Like always, Hmm. I can say, this is what this hedge fund is doing to GameStop. Oh, I know what they're doing. I'm going to buy a stock the same way they did. Is that me doing anything illegal? No, it's just looking at experts and studying how they buy things and then buying them the same way they do. This goes back to the question a little bit, though. Was Are the practices of hedge funds, though, or should they be? Because I do agree they haven't been illegal ever. But should they be? Have those practices of... Oh, yeah, I'm going to purposefully invest into this market and share out where my short bets are in hopes that some people buy into it. Should that practice in and of itself, because you know inherently that sharing it out, if you have a following and you have people who like the way you invest, are going to probably go your way, is that a disadvantage or or not a disadvantage? Is that taking advantage of the free market enterprise? That sounds like a really good question <laughs> for uh, the SEC. Maybe a little bit of Janet Yellen splashed into there. Yeah. Congress. Basically, what I'm saying is I don't know the answer to that and would have to look into it a lot more than I already have. I agree. Um, again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that hedge fund actions have actually been illegal. I guess if they were, they might have been caught. Mm-hmm. But. Um, and I'm not sure the Reddit users are illegal either. I'm not even sure if I'm on any particular side. I'm very curious to see how this will turn out. Same. 
And um, I'm very curious to see if there's actually any government implications to this whole mania situation. Well, I can tell you what I'm going to do after this conversation and just after this whole deal with GameStop. I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch Wolf of Wall Street. Are you going to buy GameStop? No. (laughs) And all our listeners will buy it. Is that market manipulation? Yes. In my opinion. Uh, In my opinion. But I'm going to go watch Wolf of Wall Street and watch when penny funds weren't illegal Mm. and then watch how they became illegal and then determine if I think that what's happening right now should be illegal. Okay, we've talked a lot about the U.S. and I'm really tired of talking about the U.S. We mentioned three big things that are happening internationally. Are there any quick thoughts that you have about... um, Poland, about India. I mean, China's even having some of its own issues as people are questioning what's happening in Wuhan, the original epicenter of all of this, how it's been opened up and things just seem to be going back to normal in China, relations, all that jazz. Quick takes, international news that's happening. Are there any things that stood out that you just want to like give a hot take or give a quick take for? Yeah, I'll give a quick take on two things. Uh, the Poland abortion, super strict abortion law thing doesn't surprise me because uh, the alt-right party has had a lot of power there, um, like literally trickled down into like the Supreme Court and all the courts there and worse than I think we've seen it anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, the Myanmar thing is very interesting because uh, they've been a democratically elected society for a mere five years in kind of the group that won election then, won election now, and by like a huge margin. And there was outside third parties that said, yeah, this election was free and fair. The, the, the people voted for this party 80%, like mm-hmm. over 80%. Um, and then the military just suddenly just came in and said, uh, actually, no, this wasn't free and fair, detained the um, elected administration, basically, mm-hmm. and is now taking over for one year and will have an election, again, is what they say. Um, I looked a little bit into this, and something kind of interesting came up. Uh, Myanmar's military actually has a lot of power in their government, like yeah. more than anything else. So my take there is that they always had this power, and it's kind of interesting that they decided to um, create a crisis. Yeah. Um, to I, what end? I'm not sure. One really interesting piece that I saw from BBC... Um, because the, I do believe it's the prime minister, the prime minister knew the coup was coming and um, penned a note to the people saying there will be action taken against our government. I'm calling on the people to rise up and show that this is fair and this is free um, because she won by 80%. And that's what has sparked a lot of the, this isn't free, this isn't fair. Um, And the people didn't rise up. And that was kind of the question. And BB, one of the BBC reporters did a quick take and got to meet with individuals in the country. And um, one elder reported, I've seen a lot of regime changes and I've seen a lot of things. This was the one time I really thought we had taken ownership of our country. And overnight, it went right back to what I remember. And that was why they didn't feel the need to protest because they they've become accustomed to it. And I just I thought that was fascinating and disheartening and terrible. Um, what's your What's your quick take? Well, that was one of them. the The last one I will have is I'm intrigued to see where 
relations go between the U.S. and Russia um, in this coming year, specifically as Russia makes moves to imprison one of the political rivals to Putin for no less than two years. Um, Biden administrations come out and condemn it, and it it seems like this country that has kind of operated off to the side is um, potentially going to flex or be kind of put back into our same old back and forth. No side really sees each other um, in a friendly light, but also doesn't know how to approach them in any other light. So I'm intrigued to see where that goes in the next two, three years. Me too. Well, Terrell, I think that's all for today. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. Uh, as you know, President Trump has been barred from a lot of social media sites. I'm just curious whether you think his absence has made your job any easier or the White House's job any easier as it kind of goes forward on these COVID negotiations. This may be hard to believe. We don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about President Trump here. Former President Trump, uh, to, to be very clear, uh, I can't say we miss him on Twitter.